Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Friends, I'm so excited to be with you today. Um, We are jumping back into the book of Ephesians. We are continuing our journey through the book of Ephesians. And, And last week, if you missed it, I don't I don't say this often, um, but I, I do think this is very important just for us to hear. I feel like last week's sermon, I mean, not only was it just a word to me, I think sometimes I've said this before, the best sermons are the ones that preach to me first, right? The best ones are the ones where I'm writing it down. I'm like, oh, Lord, I'm just getting raked over the coals here. I guess I'll tell them what you're telling me, you know, those are the best ones. And as I was looking at the next section of Ephesians, I just kept feeling like, man, there's more to say. There's more to say about that idea around this idea that I presented last week. If you missed it, this whole idea around nothing changes if nothing changes, Part dose, part two, here we go, okay? Nothing changes if nothing changes. And what we've said, what we've looked at in the book of Ephesians is simply this, Paul, on the front end of this letter to the church in Ephesus, which was also sent to all these young churches all over the ancient world, they would record the writings of Paul and and they would send it to neighboring house churches or neighboring synagogues where Jesus followers were meeting. And this letter was getting circulated. And the first part of the letter, if you've been tracking with us, It was all about what Jesus has done for us. It was all about the gift of God's grace. It was all about the fact salvation can't be earned. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't do enough good things to overcome the broken parts of your soul. You're spiritually dead and you need Jesus to bring you to new life. And that's a free gift. It's offered availably. It's it's open and available, offered freely to everyone. It's the good news of the gospel. In the the first three chapters, Paul is just unpacking that line upon line upon line. He's saying, everything you've ever looked for, ever needed, ever wanted is found in one place. It's in Christ. In Jesus Christ. In Christ. And so he says, Look, we're we're shifting gears a little bit here. We're heading into the second half of this letter because if this truth, if the reality of the gospel doesn't actually have an impact on your day-to-day decisions and your daily life, then nothing changes. You see, if, if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And so if you've gone from death to life, something's got to change. Something's got to give, right? And friends, the Christian life is about nothing if it's not about change. If it's not about transformation, right? It begins, as we read in Ephesians earlier in this series, when you put your faith in Jesus, you go from death to life spiritually. That's a big change. Death to life. He's called us to a lifestyle of change, and there's so many changes that he offers to us. He says, look, come to me. I will turn your mourning into dancing. He says, when you come to me, I'll take that heart of stone that you have, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. 
When you come to Jesus, when you put your faith in Christ, the bitterness and the hatred and the anger in your heart melts away into love, into mercy. Judgment slowly transforms into love and mercy. Anger turns into kindness. Self-control changes. Sorry. Impulsiveness changes into self-control. Impatience transforms into patience. Wounds become healed. Resentment and bitterness slowly transform to forgiveness. Friends, even our addictions, they transform, they change to freedom. Friends, Christianity is about nothing if it's not about change. It's an amazing passage Paul writes to the letter to the church in Corinth. The second letter he had to write to them. They were, man, they were in trouble. He had to write them two letters. You know things are bad if he's writing you two letters. 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's talking about this idea of transformation. He says, we all, he goes, you want to know the pathway to transformation? Here it is. You want to know how to change some, some things in your life? He says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So at one level, transformation change begins with what you're looking at. What are you obsessing over, thinking about? What are you giving your heart, your affections, your attention to? He goes, if you're, if you're setting your mind on Christ, if you're setting your heart on Christ, you're slowly gonna become like him more and more. So that's a step one, right? Step one actually is grace, receiving the forgiveness of God, the free gift. Step two is saying, look, I'm, I'm now actively choosing to behold Jesus with my life, to look to him, to follow him, to set my heart on him. But then Paul gets into it a little bit deeper and he says some things about this. He says, friends, you must no longer, you gotta make some choices here because nothing's gonna change unless something changes. Got to make some choices. You can't do some things anymore. You must no longer live as the people of the world. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, separated, and he's so intentional here, from the life of God. And we're all looking for life, the good life. We're looking for it. We're searching for it, right? Because of the ignorance. They don't know any better. We didn't know any better. That is in them due to their hardness of heart. So when you come to Christ, you realize, wow, there are certain patterns in the world, certain promises in the world that promise me the good life. They promise me true life. They, they promise me the, the stuff of life that I'm looking for. But Paul, he's so intentional here, and he's, I just love the way he uses the language around this. He says, look, the problem with those promises, the promises of the world is simply this. He gets into it for us. He says, they're all futile. You see that word? It's futile to try and look for the things of life, the things you want the most in the wrong places. It's futile for us to try and think that, man, the stuff of this world will give us the things that we most want. Most of us are stuck because we're looking for life in all the wrong places. Here's what I mean. Came across this amazing interview with Mickey Mantle recently. Mickey Mantle, 
As many of you know, he's an American icon, one of the greatest baseball players to ever live. In his generation, man, all the kids wanted to be like Mickey Mantle. Near the end of his life, Bob Costas did an interview with Mickey, and Mickey was very transparent about his struggles. And he'd actually just left the hospital after a liver transplant that was required because of a lifelong struggle with alcoholism for Mickey Mantle. And before Mantle sought treatment, he admitted that his hard living had hurt both his playing and his family. His rationale was that the men of his family had all died young, so he expected to die young as well. He's like, might as well live it up. So Bob Costas sat down to interview him, and he began by asking, he says, Mickey, I've sensed that there is some sort of sadness about you. Is that true? And Bob Costas just going for it right there, the jugular, right? Digging in. And uh, Mickey responded, yeah, I, I think that when I drank a little too much or something, you don't relieve the tension that I felt within myself. Maybe because I knew I hadn't been what I should have been as a baseball player, as a husband, or as a father. So he's admitting that, man, there's something that I leaned on. There was a, there was a way in my life that I thought would give me peace. I thought alcohol would, would calm me down. I thought it would relieve the tension, fill the gap, and in fact, it actually hurt me. It hurt my relationships. It hurt my career. But Bob replied, he said, did you ever just say to yourself, Mickey, wait a minute. I'm one of the best ball players of all time. I've made a significant amount of money doing this. I'm financially secure. People love me. Kids want to be like me. Why don't I feel better about my life? And Mickey replied, well, maybe I should. Maybe I should feel better about my life. But in the back of my mind, I feel like I've let everyone down in one way or another. I just know, and don't miss this, there is something in there that is not fulfilled. Unbelievable. It's not fulfilled. There's just something missing. I don't know what it is. I can't explain it. Mickey Mantle, talking to Bob Costas, is literally saying exactly what Paul is trying to say. He's saying, look, in your former manner of life, maybe it's not alcohol, maybe it's not a substance, maybe it's a desire for belonging, Maybe it's a desire for beauty. Maybe it's a desire for acceptance. Maybe you're searching for intimacy in all the wrong places. It doesn't matter what it is. Maybe it's, it's a desire for money and power. And, and when you get it, when you spend your life chasing it, and when you arrive, what Mickey Mantle and so many others with him would tell you is simply this. It won't satisfy. You thought that's what life was about. The world told you. Your former manner of living told you, man, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. I'll find peace. I'll find meaning. But Augustine said it right. He said, our hearts are restless. They're anxious. They're angry. They're filled with an uncertainty. They're filled with fear. Our hearts have a hole inside of them that will never be filled. They're restless until we find our rest in you, O oh Lord, until we find our meaning, our purpose, our life in Christ. We will be just like Mickey Mantle, running, running on the hamster wheel, but never arriving. You see, 
all, all of humanity has specific longings that are hardwired into us. God put them there. They're not bad longings. God gave us certain physical appetites, emotional longings. He, he put some things inside of us because we're image bearers of himself. He created us like him. That's what it says in Genesis. He says, look, I put deep inside of you a longing for beauty. That's why we're drawn to beautiful landscapes and beautiful places. And we want a vacation on beautiful beaches and in beautiful mountains. We have a longing for greatness. We want to have impact. We want our lives to have meaning. You can't get rid of that. God put that in you. He put that inside of you. We have a longing for belonging. We want to be included, accepted. We want to be seen and loved for who we are. We have a longing to be wholehearted. Like Mickey Mantle, he recognized, man, there's parts of me that are missing and I, I can't find out what those things are. I wish I was whole. I wish I was wholehearted. We have a longing for intimacy. We have a longing to find love, that, that reality of connection. One day with a spouse, with a husband, with a wife. We have physical appetites around, around these gifts from God like sexual intimacy, food, rest. And what Paul is saying is very simple. He says, when the world broke, when we turned from God, all these good gifts, all these longings in our heart that God gave to us were corrupted. And suddenly, they sort of jumped over the boundaries that God gave for them. Suddenly, food was not just a good gift to be enjoyed by God that nourished our bodies. Suddenly, food began to transform or drink began to transform into a crutch that we used to calm down at night. A crutch, a crutch that we use to get rid of the worries of the world. Same with sexual encounters. This beautiful good gift of God that he said, look, you're looking for intimacy, you're looking for love, but you're not going to find it in purely the physical act of sexual encounters with anyone and everyone that you want. He goes, that form of physical intimacy is reserved for the back end of emotional and relational intimacy. It's designed to be within the boundaries that God created for you to experience the good gift that it is. But if we live outside those boundaries, just like a fire in the fireplace, when it's in the fireplace, man, it can warm up the whole house on a cold winter night. But if it gets out, it can burn the house down. Same with rest. We all need rest. But if we find ourselves struggling with depression, if we find ourselves without purpose, suddenly getting out of bed at all can become a struggle. All the good things that God has given us, the longings in our heart, Paul is saying, the old you used to look to stuff like that to find meaning. It misused the good gifts of God. It made them ultimate things. And you, you wrapped your life around those things as though they would finally give you what you were looking for and they can't deliver, just like Mickey Mantle said. So he said, you have to put off the old and put on the new. You gotta put off the old you that was in relationship with those things in an unhealthy way and put on the new you that is first and foremost aligned with God and therefore is able to enter into God's good gifts in a healthy way, in the way that he intended. You see, he's the author of life. This is so important for us to recognize. Look, 
He is life. Life is Jesus. Jesus is life. He's the one that, that started this whole thing. He made you. He created you. And he's saying, trust me. I know how it's supposed to work. Walk with me. Don't become separated with my life. The life of God. So part two, nothing changes if nothing changes. Four more things I want us to, say, to see today. Number one, today is the day. Change starts one step at a time. God will begin to highlight things in your life that you realize, wow, that's more the old me than the new me. That, that habit, that action, that routine, that rut, it's pulling me down. It's pulling me back. It's making me lesser. It's, it's actually stealing the glory of God that I'm intended to bring into the world. It is, it is pushing me down. It's time for me to take a step towards freedom. And friends, the enemy of change is tomorrow. Anybody with me on this one? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. Tomorrow's a great day to start dealing with that. Lord, I promise I'll change. I'll call that person. I'll take a step. I'll, whatever, Lord, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll get to that. And here's what I believe the Lord would say to us in regards to that. As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Today, if you feel the Spirit of God pushing on some part of your life that he says, look, that's not good for you anymore. Whatever that habit was, whatever that, whatever that thing was, it may have helped you survive for a season. It may have helped you get through some season of your life, but once you come alive in Christ, it won't serve you anymore. It's not gonna help you thrive. It may have kept you alive, and that's a crazy thing to, to think, but you talk to any therapist or psychologist, and, and they'll tell you the addictions, the habits, the patterns, the unhealthy things that we adopt into our lives. The reason we latch on to those things is because we've been through some trauma, through some pain, through some difficulties, and we haven't known how to deal with it. So we stuff it down somehow, some way. And he goes, but once you come alive, I want to show you a new path of dealing with that. Friends, change starts today. The second thing that we need to understand around this idea, nothing changes if nothing changes, is simply this. Number two, there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. I love this passage right here. Paul says in verse 20, we read it last week, we'll look at it again. He's talking about the former manner of life, how we all used to look for meaning and purpose in all the wrong places. And he just says real simply, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. There are no shortcuts. I love it because Paul talks about learning. Talks about going back to school. You know, this is the only time in the entire Bible where this phrase is used, where God says, I want you to learn a person. You see, Christianity is not just about agreeing with a set of facts. 
It's about following a person. Truth is not just about agreeing with a set of facts. It's about following a man named Jesus because as we see in this verse, the truth is in Jesus. We have to learn a person. God's like, I'm about to take you back to school. There's this guy I follow on uh, Instagram. His name's The Professor. Anybody follow this guy? Basketball player. I think he's located somewhere near L.A., and he's unbelievable. He's kind of like a one-man Harlem Globetrotter. One-man Harlem Globetrotter. He just, dude, he, the moves that this guy puts on people, I'm talking guys that are really good at basketball. He makes them look silly, makes them look foolish, right? He's breaking ankles left and right. He's throwing it off the back of their head, then laying it up. He's going between their legs. It is wild, the stuff this guy can do. And, and it's so funny because every time some dude's like, I got you, man. Bring it, come on, give me your best. And he makes them look ridiculous like he does with everybody else. You just start to hear it from the crowd. You hard, I mean, crowds gather wherever he goes and, and people just start shouting from the crowd, oh, he took you back to grade school, bro. He took you all the way back. First grade, kindergarten, oh, you know, they're just going at it, right? He took you to school. And what they're saying is, is man, he's three steps ahead of you. He's so far advanced. He's so much, so much beyond you and where you are right now that he knew you were gonna step that way. He knew you were gonna look that way. And he knew it so well that he actually could do whatever he wanted to with whatever you were gonna do next and he's still gonna score on you. He took you to school. And friends, the only way that we learn Christ, right, the only way that the professor became the professor was hours and hours and hours and days and days and days and free throws and crossovers and little subtle moves and lots of failures and lots of times where the ball was stolen from him and he was blocked and it didn't work out a whole lot of times. Learning is a process and teachers in the room, we got any teachers in the room today? I see you. I see a few of y'all. Hey, first of all, we're praying for you. We love you. Huge week this past week. Let's give it up for all the teachers in the room. We are in your corner. But secondly, teachers, you know this, right? When you get a new class of students, it takes a whole semester. You got to build on the foundation. You got to teach them little by little. You got to show them the next step. You got to break it down. Every little part, every little piece. And Paul is saying, look, learn Christ. Go to school, get in the word, stay in community, talk about the struggles that you're facing, understand, begin to, to recognize when anger and fear and lust and envy and comparison and all the things of your life, begin to recognize your trigger points, begin to recognize the situations that lead you to the old you, begin to recognize those weaknesses, those chinks in your armor, and learn Christ, go the other way, begin to walk after Jesus, one day at a time, one step at a time. Friends, learning Jesus is about entering, it's jumping into the school of life. You learn Jesus in the school of everyday life. Life is the learning ground, life is the teaching ground for what it means to follow him thought about this. Number three, nothing changes if nothing changes. Uh, I should probably tell you this before you start to change anything. You probably already know this. There will be, say it with me, resistance. There will be resistance. 
the moment you begin to step into who God has created you to be, the moment you begin to step into your calling, into, into the role that God has marked out for you in this world and the impact he wants you to have, friends, there will be resistance from yourself, from your own sin, from your own struggles, but also from your enemy, the devil. You see, it's no accident, it's no mistake that in the letter to Ephesus, in the letter of Ephesians, Paul introduces the armor of God. Think about that. He's talking about this resurrected life, this new life, this new life that when you walk with Jesus has the ability to transform your marriage. This, this new life that has the ability to transform uh, your relationships, your parenting, your, all the environments that you find yourself in. This, this is a life that you were designed to live. And the moment you begin to step into the glory of that, Irenaeus said it best. He's an old ancient Christian philosopher. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And when you wake up to who you're called to be and you begin to step into the life of God for you, man, all hell is gonna come against you. All hell is gonna come against you. I think about C.S. Lewis and the screw tape letters. And there's this, this fictitious conversation between Wormwood and another demon. And they basically just say, look, as long as he just doesn't try and change things, he's fine. He's of no consequence to us. As long as we just keep him in that little habit or that little rut or that little cycle or that relationship or that, 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 we don't got to worry about him or her. It's already dealt with. But the moment you step out of that and you begin to step into who you're called to be, whoop, we need to do something about this. The enemy says, we got to put a stop to this. I mean, in verse 27, Paul says, he's talking about change, transformation, talking about daily choices. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Put off the old, put on the new. And then he says, right in the middle of all of it, and don't give an opportunity to the devil because he's looking for a chink in your armor. He's, once you start to walk this road, he's gonna come after you. And he's gonna use all these different little things from your past and your weaknesses and your trauma, whatever it is. And Paul says, be vigilant. Be vigilant. Because when you are in the process of following Christ, when you're in the journey of following Christ and you are, you're putting off, you're making new choices, you're taking new steps, when you're putting off your old, what's that word right there? Self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, that means it's corroding because it's believing lies, deceitful desires, lies that tell you, hey, life's found over here. Life is found in this pursuit. This is where you'll find happiness when in fact, it won't deliver. Might deliver for a second, but it won't deliver ultimately. He's put off your old self. As you begin to do that, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self. I, I read so many commentaries on this that actually frustrated me. Because they would, they would talk about this putting off and the putting on, they say, oh, it's like a clothing analogy. Paul's using a clothing analogy. He's using that word that we would use to like take off a garment of clothes or put on a new garment of clothes. So any of your garments of clothing that, you know, they match up with your old way of life. Just take those off and then put on the new clothes about your new way of life. But he doesn't use the word clothing, does he? I'm gonna use a different color here. He uses the word what? 
self, new self, old self. Friends, taking off a jacket is easy. Putting off your old self, hard. Resistance feels like dying. <laughs> feels, I've said, I feel like I said that three weeks in a row. It feels like dying, right? And you're like, I don't wanna be a Christian. It feels like dying. Okay, I promise you, a year from now, your future you will look back and say, man, I'm glad I went through that pain. You never understand the purpose of the pain while you're in it. It's when you look back over your life, you say, man, I wouldn't trade that season for the world. I grew so much through that. God did so much in me through that. It's the worst season of my life. I was so depressed and I had to grind and I had to make it through one step at a time. But now, I've never felt so free. I've never been so present. I've never experienced joy like this. I've never, I've never experienced life like this. Putting off the old self feels like sometimes ripping off old layers of skin. Putting on the new self is learning to live a completely new way of life. Close with this. Fourth thing that we see, nothing changes if nothing changes. Today is the day. Don't start tomorrow, start now. Write it down, text a friend, make a note. There are no shortcuts. You have to learn Christ. Learning is a process. There will be resistance from yourself, from the enemy. But number four, and we can't miss this, the pain of the present is worth the outcome. The pain of the present is worth the outcome. Paul said it like this. He said in Romans 8, verse 18, such a powerful, powerful verse. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In us. So the suffering that you're walking through now, the pain that you're facing now, today, as you put off the old self and begin to live in this new resurrected life with Jesus, Paul says, it's gonna hurt, change is hard, but man, the glory that's gonna be revealed in you to the world who you're called to step into and become, this is the pathway forward and I promise you, it's worth it. It's worth it. I mean, think of it, friends. Life is about your willingness to endure painful and uncomfortable circumstances now, today, this moment, for the sake of the future you and for the sake of your kids and future generations. There are gonna be things that you put a stake in the ground and say, by the grace of God, this generational thing, this generational addiction, this generational habit, this, this whatever it is stops here by the blood of Christ with me. Lord, I'm willing to go through it. I'm willing to walk that path my dad didn't walk, my mom didn't walk. I'm willing to go there, Lord, because I believe on the other side of that grave is resurrection. New life, put off the old, put on the new. Friends, the habits that we created to survive when we were spiritually dead, the habits that we created just to make it through life in survival mode, they will not serve you or me when we come alive in Christ. 
I'm gonna close with this. The band can come out. The pain of the present is worth the outcome. The pain of the present is worth what it will teach us in the journey of life. Thought about the story of the prodigal son. It's a story where many of us are familiar with. The son goes to his dad. Says, dad, I want my share of the inheritance now. In other words, you're dead to me, dad. I wish you were dead. I just want what's coming to me right now. Give me the inheritance. If I was looking at my son in that situation, I'd say no for two reasons. One, that was rude. Go mow the yard right now. Uh, Two, if I give you all this money, it's gonna wreck your life. It's gonna ruin you. You don't know how to handle this yet. You're gonna make bad decisions. And I see where this is going, so no. I'm your father. I know what's best for you. There are certain things that I should say no to. But what the father do? He goes, okay, you can take it. Give it a shot. If you think that's where you're gonna find life, that's where you think you're gonna find happiness, if that's where you think you're gonna find intimacy and connection and greatness and independence and all the longings of your heart, go for it, son. You can try, you can look real hard. In fact, I'm gonna give you a lot of money and you're gonna have a lot of power to do some things and to look for life in some places. And as the story goes, it says the son squandered the money in reckless living. He looked real hard. That's what it means. He made the best of his opportunity to try and find life anywhere but the father's house. Anywhere but in relationship with his father. Think about this, friends. In this parable, the father represents God. And there are moments in life where he says, look, I don't want to, but if you're, if you're asking, I'll give you over to that. And you may end up in a pigsty. You may end up in the side of the road in a ditch. You may end up wrecking your life. You may end up really regretting this. But as long as you get to the end and you realize that that's not where life is, it'll be worth it. And the pain you have to go through, the things you have to try to get there, whatever it may be, and hopefully that's not your story. Hopefully you choose it now, today. But if you one day find yourself starving in a pigsty, wishing you could eat what the pigs are eating, just remember this, son. You can always come home. You can always come home. And what did the son do? There's a moment where he's longing for the pig slop and he goes, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go back to my father. Life is not found out here. I thought, I thought it was in all this stuff. It all leads to the same spot, to emptiness, to anxiety, to loneliness, to pain. I need to go back to my father's house. That's, I had everything I wanted before I ever left and I didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. He says, all right, I... I will get up and I'll go back to my dad. And he's practicing his speech the whole way home. Father, I've, I, I've, I've, I've shamed you. I've made horrible decisions. I've squandered the money that you gave me. I, I did everything you probably thought I was gonna do. So you don't even have to take me back as your son. I mean, he's practicing the speech the whole way home. I, just let me be a servant and maybe I can eat the scraps from your table. That's all I ask. Just let, me, just let me be around the house again, Dad. 
Just let me be. I don't even care if I have to stay where the servants stay. Just let me be around the house, right? But as he puts off the old, as he makes a decision, as he repents and he says, I'm going home, he makes a choice to start stepping in the right direction. What does he find? Not the face of a disappointed father who said, I told you so. He sees the, the face of a father who's eagerly waiting on the horizon for his son to return. And the moment he sees him in the distance, he runs to him. And in the middle of his son's speech where he's trying to say, God, I, Father, I messed up. I'm sorry. I, just, I don't deserve anything. He goes, be quiet. You were dead. Now you're alive. Take my robe. Someone kill the fatted calf. You're not eating the scraps from the table. You're eating the feast and you're the main subject. And I'm putting the signet ring on your finger that says you're my boy. You're my son. You're my daughter. You never, don't come back here begging. Don't even think about it. I went to the cross and died for you so that you would be an heir, not an outsider. You'd be family. And so we're about to take communion together, friends. And communion is simply this. It's a statement that God is scanning the horizon for you right now. No matter where you're at, no matter what pigsty you're in, no matter how rough it may be. And this, this juice and this cracker represents the blood spilled by a Savior, a body broken by our Savior Jesus on the cross. And it represents a father that says, I will go to any length to make sure you can come home. You're forgiven. Friends, nothing changes if nothing changes. Take a step today. There are no shortcuts to learning Christ. There will be resistance along the way. But remember, the pain of the present pigsty, the pain of the present circumstances, the pain of change is worth the glory of returning to the Father and who you're called to be. It's worth it, every bit of it. Amen. Friends, today, if you wanna take a step of faith, of salvation, if you realize in your own life, man, I've been, been looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. And you realize today the Lord is just waiting for you to come home. I wanna pray with you right now. There's a card on the seat back in front of you. And I just, next steps you can mark, put my faith in Christ. I'd love to learn more about baptism. I'd, learn, I'd love to learn more about taking a, a next step of faith of reading the Bible, of learning how to live this new life, to let go of some old things. We'd love the journey with you in that. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna take communion together. Lord Jesus, I ask in this moment for anybody who has not yet come home to the Father, who's not yet said, I'm done trying to find life out here and meaning and purpose out here. It's time for me to get up and go home. Pray right now that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ, that you died on the cross for their sins, for their mistakes, for their pigsty. But you didn't stay dead, you rose again so that they could have new life. You paid the price for their sins. And Lord, I ask right now for any person in this room that needs to take that step of faith, that they would believe they would repent and say, Lord, I'm done looking out here. And they would turn to you and say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I believe you died and rose again for me. 
Thank you, Father. We ask this in your name, everyone said. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.